Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. Luke's account has the essentially the same connection. Luke 8 has the parable of the sower, plus, or he goes into the same passage. So, seems to be correct in that Jesus taught this after the parable of the sower. This is not a different occasion. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be asked, will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So we have here two illustrations from the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not parables. These are illustrations. But I believe because of where it's found that it is reinforcing in some ways the parable of the sower. So just think back about what the parable of the sower is emphasizing. It's all about hearing the word. As Jesus went through the interpretation, he says that over and over again. These are they that hear the word, hear the word, hear the word. So it has a lot to do with hearing, I believe. And Jesus reminds them again in the verses we just read, underscoring each of these illustrations with the importance of hearing. Let him who hear, hears, let him hear. These are commands, by the way. Pay attention to what you hear, another command. So we need to keep that in mind in interpreting because actually all of these statements of Jesus can be found in other places and contexts in the Gospels. Like, let me just give an example. For Pay attention to what you hear, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You recall where that is? That's Matthew 7, about judging. Do not judge, lest you be judged, for with what measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Same idea. So it tells us something, that Jesus had certain statements that he made 
and even in different contexts with a different emphasis. So it doesn't mean the same in every place. And I would be in error, I believe, this morning if I tried to make that statement apply to judging other people. It doesn't fit here. Because this is a context about hearing. Paying attention to what you hear. So he's, he's underscoring the parable of the sower and the importance of hearing the word. And we're going to notice as we move on that there, this section is followed by two more parables. In verse 26 through 29, you have the seed that is growing, first the blade, then the, then the stalk, then the ear. Again, it's a metaphor about sowing seed, hearing the word, and so on, and even the mustard seed. So these are parables that Mark put together that all have to do with somehow related to hearing the word of God. Looking at it from different angles, emphasizing different aspects. So this is, this to me is important to interpreting what we find here. So, with that said, let's. I, my sermon is basically two, two illustrations. We're going to look at the illustration of the lamp and then the illustration of the measure. And I'll talk about what the measure is in a moment. But let's look at the first one. This is verses 21 to 23. The illustration of a lamp. Actually, the original is not a, but the lamp. The definite article is before all of these pieces of furniture. Is the lamp brought in to be put under the basket or under the bed and not on the stand or lamp stand? Somebody observed that... uh, Probably Jesus is describing here the furniture, some of the furniture or the things that you would find in the typical Galilean home that consisted of one room, kind of a poor family. They don't have a whole lot. They have one lamp. They have one bench, not a a bed in the sense of what you sleep on. This is talking about the couch or the bench that you would recline on at the table for a meal or the basket, or the lampstand. So who is Jesus talking to? He said to them, who is the them? Well, if you go back to verse 10 earlier, I believe it's the same group of people. There, Jesus was teaching the parable of the sower to those that were around him along with the twelve. Remember that statement? So he has his immediate apostles, and then some followers that are also kind of on the inside group of his, his followers, not, not as close to him as the 12 that he called to be his apostles. So this is not an audience of unbelievers here. This is primarily his followers that he's instructing. So keep that in mind. They're the ones listening to Jesus. They're eager to hear what he has to say. They, they want to know his teaching. 
This is a characteristic of Christ's disciples always. As he tells us in John 10, his sheep. Four times Jesus says this in John 10 about his sheep. They hear my voice and they know my voice. It's a characteristic of the sheep of Christ. They're tuned in to what Jesus says. And they can quickly distinguish what's from him and what is not from him. We know the voice of the shepherd. Now the question is, what is the lamp? I would not interpret this that this is speaking of us as the light of the world. That's Matthew 5, but that's not here. I believe the lamp is speaking about Christ's teaching. That his teaching is the lamp. So let's, let's assume that this is the correct interpretation. Now just follow with me as we see what Jesus says, if that's true. And by the way, the word of God in the Old Testament is said to be, remember uh, the famous song by... Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Amy Grant, that's who I couldn't think of it. Yeah, that's Amy Grant's famous song. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. Those are the words of Psalm 119, verse 105. Wonderful teaching. Because as I traverse through this world as a Christian, we don't see a lot of light down the way. We don't know what's in front of us. We don't know what's in the future, but we need to, we, I need to see the next step. I need help to just know where to take the next step, to light my way and also to show me where to go, how to walk. And it's the Word of God that is a lamp to my way and a light to my path. Those are... The steps that I take and the path that I'm on, I need the guidance of the Word of God. So that would fit as a cross-reference, the Old Testament by word. But here, I think it's the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was the Word of God coming through Him. It wasn't the Scripture so much, unless He elaborated upon it and took an Old Testament text and filled it out and told us what it means. He was giving us new teaching, never heard before in the Gospels. So his word is a lamp. And what is to be done with it? Well, you certainly don't put it under the bench or under a basket. That was the thing that contained, they've had, they put food in it, grain and whatnot, holds about two gallons Content-wise, you wouldn't put a lit lamp, a lamp that was burning. Now, when Jesus talks about the lamp, you can see these. This is one of the most common artifacts that's found in, the, in Israel are the little clay lamps. They have found many of them, not broken either, in one piece. So they know what these lamps look like. Little clay lamp, I saw it. They have two holes in them, one for, you put the oil in one, and then the other hole, you have the wick. A little tiny lamp. So Jesus is talking about a burning lamp that's been lit. What do you do with it? Oh, you don't want to put it under something, on the floor or under a basket. The lamp is meant to be put elevated. He says you put it on the stand. You don't burn it on the ground. You want it to have optimum light. 
dissemination. So he says you put it on the stand, elevate it so it gives off the most light possible to everyone. This is the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying my teaching, it deserves to be shared. It deserves to be spread abroad and dispersed throughout the world, not to be hidden. He's telling us. This is a great privilege that we have the teaching of Christ. The world is in utter darkness. They need what he has to say because he tells us the way of salvation, the way to heaven. What pleases God? What displeases God? These are very, very important questions, the most important questions. How do we obtain forgiveness before God? There's no question greater than that. So the teaching of Christ is here, I believe, the lamp and what we're to do with it. It deserves maximum exposure. Maximum exposure. Now notice what he says right after that. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, that is, brought out of concealment and revealed. Now, when you read this text in other places in the Gospels, it usually is carrying the idea of the future judgment and that what men are trying to hide now It's going to all be revealed in the day of judgment. But I don't believe that's the meaning in this context. Again, look at what he just said about the light being hidden. You don't want to hide it. It's absurd to think of hiding a lit lamp. Rather, it needs to be manifested. So, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest or revealed. And then he adds, nor is anything secret except to come to light. That is to be brought out into the open and made public. So it's the same idea. These are parallel statements. But bringing out the idea that what is hidden or secret is to be revealed, exposed, manifested, and so on. Now, I do want to add this, that in the original language that is used here, we have a purpose clause in the second statement. And it gives the idea that what was made secret was made a secret for a purpose of future manifestation or exposure. Now, just think of what Jesus is saying. God purposed to hide something or to make something secret for the purpose of a future revelation or manifestation. Now, that that could be applied to, in our context of parabolic teaching, what Jesus had said before, that parables and figurative speech, we could add to that, and Jesus used a lot of it, that in many ways it it concealed the truth. Even from his own disciples, they didn't get it. 
They really needed help with the interpretation. That's why he gave them this key to interpreting parables with the interpretation of the parable of the sower. He said, if you know this, you'll be able to... If you don't know this one, you're not going to know what the other parables are. But if you do get this one, here I'm going to give you the key to it. I'm going to interpret it for you. And and the details have meaning. That's important. They're almost an allegory. Some people reject that idea that the parables are not allegorical. I would agree they don't have to walk on all 20 or 30 legs, every single detail, but we need to know that some of the details do have meaning. So the parables conceal the truth, they hide the truth. Unbelievers, it's really hidden from them, (laughs) he tells us, but even his own disciples Um, there's a partial hiding of the truth under the figure of speech, metaphors, parables that Jesus often employed in his teaching. So if he did that on purpose, in order for the manifestation later This speaks to me in the sense that, okay, if I don't know the meaning of something that Jesus taught, it's almost like when you're sitting here listening to the Word of God and you learn something for the first time, something just clicks and you see it immediately, it jumps out at you from what you're learning from a sermon, or maybe in your own private reading you discover the meaning of something that before was hidden. You didn't, you didn't get it. But then it comes to manifestation. Boy, that, that manifestation or that revelation that comes after something is hidden and dark and secret, as far as your understanding goes, it really has power. It really speaks. It makes an impression. It, it's glorious in, some, in many ways. I think as a divine principle that God sometimes follows, this is true as well. That God purposely hides something for future manifestation. And I want to apply it to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He presently, in all of his resurrected and divine glory, is hidden from us. We do not see it. We have no idea the glory, the present glory of Christ in heaven. No, absolutely no understanding of it. We can't even imagine it. I mean, we're told that light that Saul of Tarsus saw on the road to Damascus was greater and brighter than the sun at noonday. And it blinded Paul for three days. He saw something that just was... Unbelievable. He'd never seen anything like this before. So that experience of Saul on the road to Damascus was a glimpse into the glory of Christ. For We have not seen it. We can't imagine it. But the day is coming. Matthew 24 tells us, before he comes, before the sign of the Son of Man is seen in heaven, 
How does Matthew 24, 29 explain it? The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars of heaven will... Something's going to happen. In other words, the light is going to go off in the heavens. We're going to have blackness. Then is going to appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Is that going to get the attention of the world? Absolutely. It's going to be, the whole world is going to be in darkness. Then Christ in all of his glory, because that's how he explains it, he's going to come with all the angels of heaven in power and great glory. This is the day that is coming. My point is, is that God, a, a principle that the God of the Bible sometime, op, sometimes operates by is having a period of darkness in order to enhance the manifestation and the revelation of something. Boy, it's certainly true with the second coming of Christ. And I think you could find that principle in the Old Testament with the Egyptians and Israel in Egyptian bondage, the darkness that they experienced for four centuries, 400 years. And then Yahweh steps in and begins to display his power in all of the plagues in order to deliver his people. This brought a great manifestation of God's power and glory to the Egyptians and to mainly for the sake of Israel, his people, because they had lost sight of who their God was, being immersed in the idolatry of the Egyptian culture and um, environment. Going back, the, the parables then, if, if Jesus... And I'm going to say if Jesus is talking about his parabolic teaching, and I, this is how I'm looking at it, I, I, I'm open to having more light on this subject and understanding it better. But in this context of parabolic teaching, which hides the truth from some, it is for the purpose of manifestation later, however, it comes out, the truth revealed, and being more glorious, having more power, and so on. So, let me move on to this, the second illustration. Verses 24 and 25 is the illustration of the measure. Now, notice how Jesus punctuated the illustration of the lamp. Verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So he's emphasizing the importance of hearing what he's saying, listening to his teaching, but also hearing the word of God, I think. It's underscoring it again. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to what you hear. So he just uh, he had just said that we must hear Jesus. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. 
This is a command in the original. Let him hear. This is an injunction to listen, not to resist what Jesus says, what he teaches, but to hear it, take it in. Now he switches it up just a little bit and he says, pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to it, close attention. Now the the language here is uh, pay close attention or consider, perceive, um, because it's from the verb that means to see, the very first meaning of it. Blepo is to see physically with your eyes, but it has several sub-meanings depending, again, on the context. So in our Bible that I'm reading from, it says pay attention to it. Pay close attention. To what? Well, to what you hear. Now, I don't believe we're to understand this as a caution from Jesus in the sense of, you know, examine what you're hearing to make sure you're hearing the Word of God. I don't, I don't think that's what's being said here. Rather, I believe what he's emphasizing is, you know, pay attention because weigh carefully and understand it's God's word that you're hearing. What you are hearing. Pay attention to what you hear. This is not the words of a man. These are the words of God. This demands close attention, weigh it carefully, perceive and consider it, that you get to hear what God has to say. This, I believe, is what is being emphasized here. So, what he's going to explain is that the kind of hearing that we give the Word of God, um, we're going to reap. It's going to come back to us. The kind of hearing. Luke is going to say, um, pay attention to how you hear. Luke inserts that in his version of these same verses. How you hear, that's the emphasis. It's not what you're hearing in the sense like, i got to make sure that I'm hearing the truth or I'm hearing only God's word. And Although that's important, <laughs> as hearers of the word, we want to make sure that we're getting 16 ounces to the pound of truth, that it's not a mixture of God's word and human opinion. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He wants us to weigh the importance of the privilege that we have of hearing the Word of God. Keeping that in our mind when we hear His Word so that we will respond appropriately. And the illustration that he uses to further this is the measure. For with the measure you use, literally with the measure that you measure, the first measure is a noun, and then the measure that you use, or uh, that you, with the measure that you measure with, that's going to be a verb. So you have the verb and the noun here of the same word. So he's talking about an object here, the measure. This is, 
I mean, just think of a measuring cup, though it's not a measuring cup. But he's talking about some unit, some device that was used for measuring food and commodities at the marketplace, for example. So with, with the measure that you use to measure, it will be measured back to you. C.H. Spurgeon put it like this. He said, the hearer of God's word will get measure for measure, and the measure shall be his own measure. I know that sounds confusing. So with what measure you measure, it will be measured to you. So let's try to explain it like this. So, if, we're, if it's the context of hearing the word, again, the privilege of hearing God speak to us, it demands a response from us. And Jesus is concerned that we respond correctly. This all goes back to the parable of the sower. That good soil that takes the seed in and produces a 30, 60, or 100-fold crop from the seed that is planted, it all has to do with how they heard the word. Jesus said that they received it or they welcomed it. Remember, I I brought that out in the text. It says they, they received it. Those that heard it on good soil, they received it. Not just accepted it, they welcomed it. It was a hearty reception. This has to do with then how we hear. This is what Jesus is emphasizing. So, what is the measuring unit that we use when we hear the Word of God? Because however we respond, it's going to, we will reap back according to our response. So, in other words, if a person comes, I just try to make it as practical as possible in the context of coming on Sunday to hear the Word of God. If you come on Sunday and you have a desire to hear the Word, and I know you all do or you wouldn't be here, you want to be taught, you want to receive the Word, you want to listen, you take it in, it's mixed with faith, you're going to have a, you're going to be reaping benefits of, from hearing like that as opposed to someone who comes, but maybe they're here out of duty. And I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, but I'm just throwing this out, that in any church service, there's probably people who are there out of a sense that I need to go to church with my family or whatever. They don't have a whole lot of interest in it, but they go anyway and they hear a sermon, but they're not that tuned into it. There's a, there's a superficial hearing going on where they're just hearing something, but they didn't come with that desire, that interest, the faith is lacking. What are they going to get out of it? Probably very little. So we, we reap what we sow when it comes to hearing the Word of God. If we come with hungry hearts, Jesus says we'll be filled. One of the old Puritans, uh, he, he put it like this. He said, he that hears as he ought, he that hears as he ought, hears the word of God as he ought, every time he hears, 
he grows something more rich by it. Yeah, that's that's the great blessing of listening to the word, being faithful in hearing the word. And and then the Lord passes on to this next statement that he's just reinforcing it. Listen to what he says. For to the one who has, more will be given. <laughs> this, is, this is one of these divine paradoxes that we find in the Bible. It doesn't make any sense to us. Just like we read about something being purposely hidden in order to be revealed. That's, a, that's paradoxical to us. It's hard for us to... Understand it, because man's way is if you hide something, you don't want it exposed. That's how man does it. No, God God purposely hides things for the purpose of exposure later. Here's a paradox as well. Those who have a full cup, they get more. God pours more into it. Oh, it seems like the person who have an empty cup, he's the one that should get more. No, not according to Jesus. No. The one who has more is going to be given. And the one who thinks that he has a little bit, he's going to lose even what he thought he had. So there's a warning in that. That's the negative side. There's a positive and a negative here, a promise and a warning. It kind of is the old cliche that you've often heard, the rich get richer and the poor get what? Poor. Kind of the same teaching, what Jesus is giving us here. So the person who hears, he listens attentively to Jesus out of a sense of need Uh, with an eagerness and a desire, a readiness to obey what he hears. This is their measuring cup. And the truth will be measured out to them so as to fill them. And so we read statements like this, that Jesus will give grace upon grace. Paul speaks about going from glory to glory, 2 Corinthians 3. So this is, this is talking about the Christian's growth. It all comes back to how he hears the word of God and then what comes out of it from hearing. But the Lord has this warning attached. Those who hear the word, uh, like I said, a superficial Hearing, they lack desire, they lack interest, there's no real felt need there or concern to know spiritual things. What they hear fades away and it's forgotten. So it's a sad thing that happens to those who are in such a state. So let me just conclude this. Why, why did Jesus say these things after teaching and interpreting the parable of the sower. Because he's further emphasizing what we are to do with what we hear in the first illustration of the lamp. 
This is what he's emphasizing. What are we to do with his teaching? Don't hide it. Manifest it. Manifest it. Make it known. Disseminate it. And then in the second illustration, he's, he's teaching the great importance of how we hear, as Luke 8.18 puts it. So you might want that as a cross-reference because that's the same teaching in Luke's account, but he says to take heed about how you hear, and that's what is being addressed by the measuring cup. This is all about how we hear. How we hear will come back to us in blessing or, sadly, in loss for some. Tough passage, difficult to understand, and I consulted a lot of different things when I was going through this. Many, many Many writers who have written on the Gospels, and hopefully we're, we're, we're close to what Jesus intended. So I pray the Lord will bless that. Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.